We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack. We just experienced an extremely painful loss to the Cavs, 116-114. How are we doing? What is wrong with this franchise? What is wrong with these players? What is wrong with the Brooklyn Nets, Nick? Yeah, a lot, a lot, especially in the last two minutes of this game. Ended on a 12-2 run in favor of the Cavs. And that final possession, Donovan Mitchell misses the potential game-tying free throw. The Nets get, what, three pairs of hands on the ball and still cannot grab the rebound. Isaac Okoro, somebody who I talked about on the last podcast, is a guy you'll live with shooting, hits the game-winning three, and he hit three threes tonight. A guy that averages two attempts a game at 35%. I mean... It, it just sucks to be a Nets fan right now. This has been probably one of the most painful seasons given. And we thought last year was bad, but this season is just kind of a continuation of disappointment. We'll jump into that in plenty more. Make sure you find the buzz on all streaming platforms. You give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But Jack, where do we go? Uh, I don't know, mate. But like, <laughs> I, I want to piggyback, I guess, on what you were sort of saying and what we were chatting a little bit off wax. It just feels like this game was emblematic of the Brooklyn Nets experience like the past 24 months. Like there was glimpses and moments and promise and then idiocy and just dumbfoundery. Like it was just like, what the hell is going on right now? Like the Nets are losing the unlosable game. Like the that quarter they got up by double digits for the first time in the entire game. And they Joe Harris hit his thousand three. All was going great. McKay was hitting scoop layups. Spencer Dinwiddie was taking McKay, uh, Evan Mobley off the dribble. I'm like, okay, that's the game right there. And to maybe I jinxed us because what I like to do is Nick and put people behind the scenes is like a celebratory tweet. I do a little bit of dot points. I saved that in my draft, so I got it ready to tweet out when the Nets are going to win. And then I'm just like, wait, turnover 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 free throws like what is going on here like it was just you could not write a more nonsensical script if you were a, a, a crappy netflix writer like what was going on there mate like those turnovers and like the nets had a timeout i believe it am i wrong in saying that like yeah they, they had a timeout a t- on the possession before the Cavs got the ball back you know and I mean, uh, Spencer was trapped. I think what is even more frustrating, the Nets didn't seem like they were prepared to be trapped in a situation that it was quite obvious 
that's what the Cavs were going to do if they weren't able to kind of you know play defense for the final possession, which they weren't. And the Nets looked unprepared. And DFS makes a tough pass to Mikel Bridges that goes off his hands, ends up getting the Cavs in transition. But it's not even just that play. It's, a, you know, not the possession before that, but the two prior possessions before the Spencer Dinwiddie layup. You have Dinwiddie making a bad turnover, and then you have Mikel Bridges making a really bad turnover. And two guys who had awesome games, probably their two best games, you know, their best games they've had in like a week. And they finished it off by blowing the game. It, it's as painful as it gets. I mean, as we talked about a little bit too, is like the Nets brought you back in for potentially this season in terms of like, oh, maybe they can make the playoffs. Maybe they aren't a terrible team. Well, tonight, I think this this kind of closes the door in the season. Not to say they can't make the playoffs, but I think the fans, for the most part, are ready for this one to be over just for how painful it's been on so many different levels. Yes, 73 games of agony. Like, yeah. <laughs> look, there's been elation. There's well, it was been... like 50 games of like hope of being a contender <laughs> with two superstars, and they're finally together. Then Kyrie demands a trade. Kevin Durant's traded. Then we get this new team. Looks pretty good. Five-game losing streak, and now we're back in the dumps. Yeah, it feels like Brooklyn Nets all Brooklyn Nets fans all around the world should get free mental health care, like just yeah. because like the, for the amount of the emotional roller coaster that we've been put through. And I think tonight, Nick, you know, it it was interesting because I know you responded to my tweet in, in the morning that I put out about like Change feeling. <laughs> yeah, look, it, 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 I thought it was quite measured, and it was like, yeah, actually, I kind of feel the sort of same way because you sort of bring a semblance of just like rationality to things that just helps me understand my own thoughts, and I'm just like after I was and I said this to you behind the scenes and I haven't necessarily said on the pod I've been leaning towards more the Nets getting out of the play and getting a better pick in what is said to be a stacked draft class that you and I are starting to do a little bit of research on but then we get these glimpses during the game where like the, the Cavs are a legitimately good team like they're a fringe championship contender and they have incredible defensive players some incredible offensive players like I really rate the Cleveland Cavaliers but in saying that like it's just what happened for the Nets throughout this game was just like they, they shot poorly, but then they rebounded well. You know, Spencer drove and then he turned it over. It's just like the good and the bad, the yin and the yang is just what was represented throughout this game. And it was, it's a tough, it's a really tough, bitter pill to swallow. And now I'm, look, I was leaning more towards, you know, the tank. Um, I think most Nets fans will probably feel that way now if they're looking at it objectively because, you know, there was talk about, you know, the, the Knicks dropping a few games here and there, the heater coming up. It's just like, what is the purpose now of being like a, a mediocre fringe playing team. There is no like ultimate goal. And, and what is the best that you're going to get out of that? The best that you could get out of, you know, dropping a couple of few spots could be, you know, a, a franchise impacting player, not franchise altering. I don't doubt that a, a top 10 pick could do that. Donovan Mitchell certainly has. But in saying that, I just think that this game further reiterates my feelings before, you know, I was conflicted. Now I'm much less conflicted about the direction the Nets should take in these final nine games. And it sucks because I think both of us felt that there was a, some of these games had a little bit more meaning, had a little bit more oomph and juice to them. And it's just like, the Nets are throwing them away. Like this is now five straight and the Nets haven't lost five straight all season. And during those stretches, some of those games were very, very winnable. The Kings, the Nuggets, tonight's game. It's just like the Nets could have gone three and two and be in a position where you know, they're, they're, they're knocking on the door of the five seed. And it's just, it's hard to comprehend and it's hard to verbalize at the same time, Nick, where, where the Nets do currently stand. 
Yeah, they would be the five seed, I think, if they went, you know, three and two in that stretch. Uh, and they'd have a probably a matchup with Cleveland in the first round. And you would think, you know, if they won this game, oh, maybe that can be a competitive series. But I don't think anyone really wants to see the Nets go to the playoffs and get cooked for four games because that's what's going to happen at this point in time. You have no level of confidence that they could win a postseason game. And, you know, you know, arguably two of, you know, they're top three players played really well tonight. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikael Bridges, Nick Claxton all had impact on the game in a substantial way. Obviously, that final stretch was bad pretty much from all three. You know, Spencer had a turnover. Mikael had a turnover. Claxton couldn't grab that final rebound. Some of that's Royce O'Neal and him both trying to fight for it at the same time rather than letting, you know, your teammate get it. But it's tough. I mean, it's just there's not a ton of excitement. It's just a lot of disappointment and just looking to the off season and looking to next season right now because of just what it's been like watching this team for really the last five games. But overall, you were kind of trying to gauge this group, you know, post all-star break, post trade deadline and see, you know, what they could be. And I think we've seen enough to understand who they are. And it's just not a good basketball team. No, not. And they're an average basketball team that can show you something. Like and and like they have guys who can show you something, you know, and, and to to varying degrees. Like Daron Sharp, the last couple of games, like I know you covered it pretty well on that solo pod, but tonight that block on Evan Mobley was absolutely phenomenal, and like his defense has been been really positive. You know, Yutsuwatsunabe being back in the rotation, so there's just all of these things where it's just like the Nets should be a good team on paper. They should be that frisky team. They've got every single switch defender that you sort of want, but then you know none of those guys are hitting threes or none of those guys are making the right decisions when the ball is in their hands and they don't have to play defense. You know, I'm looking at you, DFS. Cam Johnson, I can't remember the last time he had a pretty consistent uh, stretch from three. So, look, it's it's re- this one's more frustrating, I think, to the extent, Nick, that when we've been podcasting, we've sort of said, well, if the Nets guys were just good enough and they were led by Spencer and Mikhail and those guys were at least like the level that we expect from them, the Nets get this win. The thing is, they did that for 95% of this game, but the 5% that mattered, the Cavs really punished the Nets and they deserve to get punished. You know, this is a Cleveland Cavaliers team, as I alluded to, that is a very good team. You can do this maybe against the Detroit Pistons or Orlando Magic or whoever else you, you want to throw in there. You can't do that to the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are going to punish your mistakes, and they punished us big time. We deserve that L. Yeah, we did. I mean, the Nets lost this game. The Cavs didn't win this game. The Nets blew it. Like, you have three turnovers in the last two minutes of the game. You deserve to lose, especially in the nature of the turnovers. It wasn't like, you know, guys are getting clamped up and, you know, Evan Mobley is like tightening so hard that, you know, he's poking the ball out of your hands or you're getting rejected at the rim or something. It's just bad basketball decisions. And I think it's just really frustrating. Uh, that's really just the, the overall theme of this Nets this current roster and the overall season of the Nets. There's just no other way to put it. And it just gotten to this point of so much excitement to now just being like, oh, here's another Nets game. Yeah, like it was it was funny. Like the Nets had to have something like 10 turnovers in, in the fourth. And then by the end of it, they had like 16. Like it's just, I, I think it's hard to sort of individually analyze a lot of these guys because of the the overriding emotions and frustration of the overall Nets experience the last 20 games, the last 50 games, the last 24 goddamn months. But And then the fact sh- they're just thrown together, you know, at the trade deadline. You know, this isn't a group that had a training camp or an entire season to kind of gel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Yeah, look, should we should we get into the game as much as we can? Again? Yeah. <laughs> I think what's what, what's the struggle here is looking at like the just the general team stats. The Nets shot better from the field. They shot slightly worse from three by like one percent. They had more free throws and they hit more of them. They shot better from the free throw line. They had more rebounds. They had the same amount of assists. It was the turnovers at the end. They had less points in the paint, but you know, I, I think that when you got Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, that that's fair fair enough. But they just did so many things right. Like if you're looking at the box score and you didn't know what the score was overall you'd think that the nets would have got this one semi-comfortably and they should have got it semi-comfortably it's just that the mistakes were so damn pronounced so damn pronounced and at the worst times really that's it like they like you mentioned they played really well for 95 probably even 98 percent of the game it just came down to the final stretch where they just couldn't get it done and they couldn't execute and Ultimately, that's what led to the loss. And some of that is player execution. I think there was also a couple of questionable coaching decisions. You know, final possession, you need to get a game-clinching rebound. You don't have arguably, you know, easily probably your best rebounder in Dayron Sharp in the game. I'm not really sure why he's not in there. And like I mentioned before, the team wasn't prepared to be trapped. Like, they weren't even set up in a position to have outlets for Spencer Dinwiddie. And there was, you know, a timeout previously. So I just I just don't understand some of the decisions from the coaching staff. And then also, obviously, the execution of the players with the turnovers. It's just, just stuff that you don't expect from an NBA-level basketball team that's has that's pretty good you know was good for this game and as you mentioned is average but has it been good at times yeah there's like a couple of mistakes are like you know an aberration you, you put it behind you but when it comes to consistent mistakes it's a trend and it has been a trend for this Nets team to make mistakes at the worst times and and maybe I'm, I'm getting in my head a little bit but like it just feels like that that's been the case but 
as well in saying that, Nick, because you, you look at the fact that Donovan Mitchell missed that free throw and he got two putbacks of his own. <laughs> yeah. So like he had two shots where he could have beaten the Nets by himself, by himself anyway, or t- tied it yeah, up. I thought the but first putback was going to be good, to be honest. I thought both of them were good. I'm like, okay, we're done here. We're going to OT and, and maybe the Nets can can reestablish themselves. But then he misses both. And thankfully he did for, for, for the Cavs' sake, but not for the Nets' sake. And the Nets still couldn't retain, as you alluded to, you know, Claxton Royce fighting for it. I don't mind that, you know, but not to allow Donovan Mitchell to get two putbacks in a row. That's what all, my, all that frustrates me as much as the loss, Nick. Well, not as much as the loss, but I think in the overall scheme of things in terms of the turnovers and stuff, yeah, they're frustrating. You know, Mikel's hands were like as, as slippery as hell. He's like sweaty, like mum spaghetti. But in, in saying that, it's just, there was just way, way too many mistakes. And Mikel was great tonight. Spencer was great tonight. You know, Joe was awesome tonight. And, and I thought Royce was positive tonight. Clax had his, his positive moments too. But, you know, it's... This sucks because we sort of thought like, you know, we could have got these wins if the Nets did these things. They had their guys playing well, but the it's just we're maybe repeating ourselves a little bit too much here, but it's that frustrating. It, it deserves repetition. Yeah, I think. And then it's just two straight losses to the Cavs. And I think that kind of signals even more. And in a game where the Nets outplayed them. They weren't able to kind of finish the game and get the win. They allowed Cleveland to steal it. But I guess, Jack, you want to jump into the individual players? Yeah, I reckon we start with Mikhail and Spencer as a duo, Nick, because it was really positive to see both our, our, our one and two you know, best players, the leaders on the team, both play well. Spencer, 42 minutes for him tonight, 9 of 15 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 5 of 6 from the free throw line. These have the 12 assists as well, also the four boards, only the two turnovers, had a steal, plus 9 on the night, led the team in that department as a starter. You know, Utah was plus 12 off the bench, but I thought Spencer was, this was his best game since coming back uh, to, to the black and white. Yeah, 25 points, like you said, 12 assists, 9 of 15, only had the two turnovers. One obviously was super crucial, but he did a lot in this game. I think, you know, in playing 42 minutes is huge. I think defensively, I'd like him to be a little better at times, but his overall decision making for 99% of the time offensively was really good. I thought he had probably the best balance he's had since rejoining the team of when to attack and when to pass. And I think some of that too was some of the lineups he shared the floor with. You know, there were some lineups where he was obviously the guy that needed to carry the offense and he did that. Yeah, and, and I think the Nets had good spacing out there for him, allowing him to attack and, you know, his handle, his timing, his you know, ability to like, you know, oh, can I attack here? That finish like at 114-110 over Mobley off the glass was was wonderful. Yeah. That was a, an insane finish and the timing and the dexterity there and just the, the read on just like, it was just really, really good basketball from Spencer Dinwiddie. And look, he's, he's been doing the podcast too. He's been speaking to Taylor Rook, speaking to Glue Guys. You know, maybe, you know, next week he's got to chat to us so he can continue that positive vein of form. But, you know, ultimately it was really good to see Spencer find his form because, you know, we know the potential that he does have and this is what he can do. It, it, how consistently can he do this to for the team going forward, whether that's for the, the remaining nine games or, or, or the season beyond that remains to be seen. But, you know, this performance, you know, other than, you know, the couple of turnovers and the, and the timely sort of possessions there, it was a, a, a wonderful game from Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, and I think he's developing a really nice chemistry with Dayron Sharp. I think they're kind of light years ahead of where Dinwiddie and Clax are, you know, and you saw that with that, you know, late turnover in the game. You know, I think they just aren't finding a great connection. The oops are a little bit off, and that's kind of been an issue. But like you said, he did a lot of really good things uh, that 
that finish, like you mentioned, over Mobley was awesome and really tough. And even when he was able to just kind of like cook Jared Allen a couple times, you know, get get some work on his former teammate. Uh, Dinwiddie, this is, you know, the best version of Spencer Dinwiddie other than that late game turnover. Yeah, you alluded to the chemistry with King Sharp. Uh, I think he just, Damon Sharp is a more traditional big man. And I think that, you know, a guy that's just a strong screener, strong finisher around the rim and, and those sort of things, whereas Clax doesn't necessarily fit that prototypical sort of mold. So, you know, he's that he's issues with De- DeAndre Jordan, who is, you know, obviously probably the the epitome of a prototype of a, an old school modern center. But it just feels like, you know, there's just guys you have chemistry with. There's just guys that, you know, where it's a, a little bit trickier to sort of find that sort of form with. But yeah, I think hopefully they do find it because they're two of our three best players. But in, in speaking of that, let's get to our other best players tonight, Nick. That was Mikhail Bridges, 11-19 from the field, only 2-7 from three. But again, getting to the free throw line, hitting all eight of his free throws, six boards, had the assists, did only, did only have the one turnover, was minus 14 on the night, but did have the 32 points. So I thought... Look, it was good to see Mikhail bounce back, you know, to getting you know, that that scoop layup at the end, the, the the release on it, the speed and fluidity on it was just like, damn, like that, that's just like he has that in his bag. I like it. Yeah, that was a really good finish. He did a great job of using the rim to kind of protect himself from being blocked. And, uh, you know, that's the next level we talked about, you know, really happy with mid-range game. He was awesome from the mid-range this game, even the short range, you know, getting that layup package to the next level is going to be huge this summer. I think a lot of that, as we've talked about, is building up that core strength and lower body strength. You know, he does get knocked off his spots a little bit offensively and defensively. Um, three balls still a little bit off, but he did have one really sweet three in this game where he hit a, had a crossover, I think, on Donovan Mitchell and then just pulled, off, pulled up from the three-point line. That was super smooth. Um, you know, it's nice to see him bounce back and really score in an effortless way. But again, same thing as Spencer. I'll keep bringing it up. The late game turnover is going to always kind of give you a sour mark on the game because of how crucial it was. And his turnover directly led to Karis LeVert, I believe, getting free throws. Yeah, it's it's really annoying. But you know, it's, the, <laughs> the, it's just the nature of the beast, Nick. Um, do we get to Clax next? Do we get to Joe Harris and his thousand three pointer and that insane twelve point not a solo nine point run in twelve point fourth quarter? Who do you want to jump into next? Yeah, let's jump into Clax. Um, I think Clax is just underappreciated by Nets fans to an extent because of what he can do defensively. Like he clamped up Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell majority of the time when he got switched onto him. Like. Good defenders. Mikel Bridges was cooked by those guys multiple times in the last two games. And Clax was able to lock them up tonight for the most part. Mitchell obviously hit a big jumper late in this game. But he's just so good defensively. And he still provides you elite rim protection. And is just a very active player in the end of the floor. I mean, I just truly enjoy watching Nicholas Claxton play defense. He is a, a, a defensive dynamo. You know, you could watch defensive highlights. Like, there's a 56-minute YouTube video on Austin Reeves highlights. I'm like, let's get, like, maybe we need to get together with Blue Wire and get a 56-minute defensive highlight package on Nick Claxton. You could probably get that from, like, his past four games. But in saying that, 11 points, 9 rebounds, 3 of them offensive, 3 or 4 from the free throw line, 4 or 10 from the field, which is obviously lesser to his standards. He did have the 3 blocks, uh, the 1 steal, and the 2 assists. I think... And, and some people got in my mention saying like Bam out of bio or whatever, but Nick Claxton has been clearly the best switch defender in the NBA as a big man this year. I think Bam's probably better overall. And I had this discussion, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think with Matt Brooks, but I think Nick Claxton is, has had the easily the best switch defender season. I think he's starting to somewhat get a little bit of credit in that defensive player of the year race. 
I still think he belongs in the top two, top three conversation at the very least. I think I have bias towards Clack City. I just think that in terms of his versatility, as you alluded to, how many guys that are six foot ten and above can do what he does? Like Giannis, Bam, and maybe to a lesser extent, AD. You know, I don't think he's been that great defensively this year, but he's just a, a wonderful, wonderful player. And defensively, he is a beast. And he looks goddamn good in that seafoam headband. Yeah, I think uh, with Clax, in terms of the comparison of Bam, I think he's a better rim protector, but I think Bam defends centers better. You know, he has more size and girth to defend in the post, where at times it feels like Clax is almost better on perimeter guys. And that also kind of gets to the point where the Nets were so obsessed with trapping. It's like you have all these great switch defenders. Why are you not leaning into switching? You know, we saw that change a little bit as the game progressed, and I think... They just don't really have a level of cohesion or a great feel for what's the best play for this team. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, some of that's just for the team being thrown together, you know, trade deadline time and not having, you know, a solidified identity. Yeah, it's weird. With the bench unit, we saw like uh, some pretty seamless switching with Utah and Dayron and stuff, and that allowed Dayron to, to, you know, help on that in- incredible block that he held on Evan Mobley. So I think that switching does fit well. You know, I've had my concerns about Dayron Sharp and his defense, especially on the switch, but, you know, he said it coming into to, to the draft and, and coming into to the net that, you know, it's something that he can do. And I think we've seen real glimpses and real moments from him at a, at a really positive sign. But in saying that, yeah, I think that some of that's coaching, some of that's on player executions. It's a, it's a combination of both. Yeah, and some of it's just no chemistry or cohesion. You know, some of that you just see guys looking at each other after the Evan Mobley had his third wide open dunk of the game, and you're just like, oh, well, you know, that just happened for two games in a row. It's just, I think it's just kind of frustrating when it's like repeated mistakes. Yeah, and the Nets have had plenty of those of late and had plenty of that during this game. Yeah, uh, I guess getting to Joe Harris, like you mentioned, had that single, you know, 9 run for himself in the fourth. I thought also, you know, I've given Vaughn some some trouble for some of the moves he made. I thought that was a smart move to leave Joe Harrison uh, a good chunk of that fourth quarter and let him hit some big shots. Obviously, I would have pulled him out for that final rebounding possession. But, you know, Joe, nice to see him hit, you know, a milestone in his career and also play some good basketball. Yeah, I think the nature of those threes as well, Nick, is like you watch all of them. All of them had like a, a unique, you know, there was one where he shot it over, you know, Evan Mobley. There was one where it was like a sort of scramble possession. The pass wasn't perfect. Joe had to jump up to get it and then, you know, reset himself. And I'm like, in my heart, like, you know, a guy that's been a Joe Harris stand in the past, I'm like, I think all of these are going to go in. Like, his three point shooting is something, despite the issues with his, his ankle and his defense this year. His, his three-point shooting is still you know, elite of the elite. And it was really on display tonight. And when the Nets needed to generate some of those looks, you know, and they were just like moving the ball around, there was some good ball movement with the second unit with Joe Harris and Spencer leading the sort of way there. Um, this was a really great game from Joe Harris. And I think it would have been even we would have been talking about this maybe more at the start of the pod if the Nets had got this win. You know, we would have spoken him alongside, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie in his game, Bridges in his game, Claxton in his game. But, you know, Joe was was wonderful and a, and a great milestone to, to hit his 1,003 in his career. And, you know, he just, he was, he was lights out. And Joe Harris has been lights out ever since he's been a Brooklyn Net. Yeah, I mean, it, he just looked more natural shooting his threes. It's just like his shoulders look squared. He got a nice, you know, release on it he he just was kind of going straight up almost a little springier than he's been in the past 
Yeah, like especially that last one that I was sort of alluding to where the pass was off and he had to reset himself and he had to like sort of bounce up a little bit and sort of like actually sort of jump a little bit because Joe doesn't really, he's not Cam Thomas in his sort of like three-point shooting where Cam just like jumps up straight up in the air and and a little bit. But Joe is just, his form and all of those shots were just like, absolute like the the fundamentally barely, sound the the, the the net like barely moved it was just like he, he, he's gorgeous to watch it's like clay thompson some of those like you know three-point specialists they're just fun to watch in in a similar way what you were sort of alluding to with Claxton's defense well i could have some of these guys in their team it just sucks that you know we're not you know they're not getting the the rewards for the stuff that they're putting in there's just it's it's just a bit shitty yeah i mean Bad late decisions. Other guys not playing well. Obviously, Cam Johnson and Dorian Finney-Smith offensively in this game provided very, very little. Uh, didn't see big minutes either. Those two guys were looked to be big pieces of this current Nets roster moving in for the final stretch. And you know their play, I think, has been disappointing. Look, Dorian Finney-Smith struggling is maybe makes my grading of him you know somewhat off. But I think his defense is okay. Just that, like, he can't hit a three, man. Like, he hits like a maybe like he, he makes Royce O'Neal look like Joe Harris. Like, yeah. it's it, it's crazy. Feels how, like all these threes have come in three games. Yeah, like the, the it feels like one game. Like they all came in that Boston game, and like I can't remember the other time he's actually hit Denver. A three he ball. hit a, he hit some big threes, and I yeah, want to say true. in that Atlanta game he hit a couple threes. But they're the only ones that really I recall. You know. I, yeah. Every time he pulls up, I mean, not to be mean, and I, I wanted Dorian Finney-Smith to be good. He was really hyped up by Mavs fan. It's, it just feels like it's going to be a miss, and it feels like it's going to be a brick. It just doesn't really – just you don't have much confidence. And offensively, teams are really – uh, defensively, teams are really starting to sag off of him. Yeah, if like Isaac Okoro is making you look, you know, like a, a shitty three-point shooter, that's saying something for DFS. But, you know, we don't want to pile on him. You know, uh, I think Cam Johnson as well, he's making his contract look a, a little bit nicer for the Nets if they want to sign him in the offseason. So I don't really care if Cam's struggling a little bit because I think his best is still to come and and, and an offseason with the team. We'll find that DFS if he's a Brooklyn Net long-term. That remains to be seen. But if the Nets can I get... I think his trade value probably took a hit so far with the trade so far. You know, the Nets, obviously, there was reports that they could have gotten a first for Dorian Finney-Smith at the deadline. Right now, it seems like they should have pulled the trigger on that. He'd probably be a better fit on that team. And also, it doesn't seem likely the Nets will get a first for him this offseason. Yeah, it's 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 funny because like I'm like, well, DFS is clearly going to be more valuable than Royce for the rest of the season. But I think Royce O'Neal has played much, much better yep. basketball. And that's a credit to him and, and, and including tonight. Yeah, I mean, Royce has really stepped up and... It happened probably about two or three weeks ago. He just really found his role coming off the bench and understanding what he could do and doing those little things. And I think at times he benefits because he's going against second units. You know, he obviously he plays some minutes against starters, but he's not necessarily an elite ball handler by any measure. So going against lesser defenders in those second units, I think allow him to utilize more of his game. And he also had a couple nice finishes in this one. Yeah, that three that was just like a, a rainbow on top of a rainbow on top of a rainbow. That was the, deep too. That was deep as hell. That was wonderful. And, you know, he had the 30 minutes tonight for four of eight from the field, two of four from three, eight rebounds, two assists, a steal. He, he, he seems to take the matchup against you know, Donovan Mitchell quite personally, which is you know something that I, that I do enjoy. But obviously, you know, there's Carol Savert and Jared Allen on the other side of things too. But, he, you know, 30 minutes for him, you know, it was only Spencer, Clax and, and, and McHale that had more minutes than him. And, you know, he's proved himself maybe like you know throw him into the starters 
and reward him for what he's been doing. You know, maybe throw Joe into the starters and send DFS and Cam to the bench, see if they can do something, get a bit of confidence to get the uh, against the other guys. I think that I'll, I, I want to see a bit more maybe experimentation to end this season. The games don't matter. I think that what we get out of those games is what's going to matter. You know, growth from Cam, you know, Joe continuing to find his footing, a bit more minutes for Utah and Daron Sharp. Let's see what we can find from this team. And there's other little wrinkles here and there. But look, Royce O'Neill deserves a, a heap of credit because we were had our issues with him throughout the year, but I think his tenure as a Brooklyn Net since entering has been you know, sensational. Yeah, I mean, he could probably get the Nets a first-round pick back in the offseason. You know, obviously that's what they traded for him, and I think, you know, we're not going to necessarily jump into our offseason opinions right now. There'll be plenty of time for that, but the way that the last five games have gone, I think you're looking to probably reset this team a little bit more than what you anticipated. And maybe they can still go a competitive route, but there's just a lot of issues with this roster. Finishing with Utah and Dayron, Nick, it just, it, I just still scratch my head at how Utah was relegated from the rele- from the rotation for so damn long. Yep. Like, it's just like, it's puzzling. And I'm not saying that like some of those losses that, you know, hurt a little bit and were narrow losses. And if you give Utah some minutes here and there would have changed the result, but I'm not, not saying that either. It's just, you give the guy 15 minutes out there and he's going to give you something. He's going to, whether it's hit a three, whether it's run the floor, whether it's get a steal, whether it's get a rebound, whether it's have a timely assist. He's just, he fits well. He just, he just fits. He's just a, a guy that just does the right things uh, at the right time for more often than not. And the Nets needed that for, for, for longer stretches tonight. So Look, uh, I'm a Utah Watsonabe stand, so I'm always going to probably be behind what he brings to the team. But yeah, love what he brought tonight in those 13 minutes and, and the same for Dayron too. Yeah, the two assists he had were on Joe Harris threes in the fourth quarter. Um, so that that's important. I think uh, Utah is a, a connector uh, and he just does some of the good things out there. You know, not necessarily the most skilled player, but he plays with good energy. And I think these 14, you know, 14 minutes he played, that's a good role for him. And like you said, I don't know why he wasn't getting minutes. Now all of a sudden he's back in the rotation. It's just kind of strange. And Vaughn talked about, I think, post game after the first Cavs matchup saying, you know, we're going to experiment and try to figure some things out with this rotation. It's like, why weren't you doing that the two weeks after the trade deadline? You know, why wasn't that the idea to mess with things a lot during that time and then have, you know, a solidified rotation for the next 10 games going to the final stretch and potentially into the postseason? So obviously, you know, Vaughn has he coached well for a good chunk of the early season. A lot of that obviously is having Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving behind you right now. I think there's been more than a handful of questionable decisions and some of that's mixed with the roster. Some of that's mixed with bad results from the players right now. It's just a lot of negativity going around, but going back to something positive, Dayron Sharp. Can I piggyback on on the Jacques Vaughn stuff, Nick, before you jump on to Dayron Sharp? Um, I think it's a discussion that I really want to have in the offseason and really dive deep into because I put out like, you know, on Twitter, like, where does Jacques Vaughn rank as a head coach? And you asked that question at the start of the year, you know, he's in the coach of the year race, you know, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving leading things uh, alongside the Nets. Now we're sort of seeing, you know, the the coach that he is. He's an average coach. You know, if, if anyone thinks... And there are people in my reply saying that he's like a top 10 coach. I'm like, uh, really? Like, are you, do you know, like NBA basketball outside of the Brooklyn Nets? Do you have that much of an irrational bias? I just think that he's, he's an average coach. Like he can do some good stuff. He can do some bad stuff. And, you know, the extension is again, a discussion we can have longer in the off season. I just wanted to throw that in there. I'm just like, 
piggyback on what you were sort of saying that, you know, the, there's good, there's bad. And Jacques Vaughn is essentially, you know, the face of what the Nets are right now. They're good, they're bad, they're average. Yeah, and I think this offseason will be a big test for him. You know, the team will implement whatever he wants to run offensively and defensively. And, you know, obviously I'm not saying it's an excuse, but obviously partial of the reason is, you know, changing the team and changing the roster. And as I mentioned, you know, Sean Marks giving him somewhat of an incomplete roster. Uh, Dayron Sharp obviously stepped up in that backup center role the last two games. I thought he's probably played, you know, eight of his best uh, – his eight best quarters, maybe consecutively as a pro, you know, there were some issues in the third and the fourth, but during that first and second quarter he was really good. And then obviously in that first Cavs game showcase some really good stuff. So happy to see sharp progress. And as someone who hasn't necessarily believed in his game, maybe, you know, he can take strides forward and really be a rotational NBA big. Yeah. I think there's this, there's signs there, you know, when, when it comes to the own shop and you know, you look at, when it comes to big man, the the intangible things, you don't look at the box score. And we know Daron Sharp is the, the best rebounder on this team. So I, I think I don't really need to see like, you know, him get 14 offensive rebounds because I know he can do that. It's what he can do on a switch is what he, what he can do you know, as part of a team scheme. Can he lead? Can he be that foundation as the big man on that defense? And in the past two games, as you've alluded to, Nick, he has done that. So full kudos to King Sharp. Um, I, you know, Sean Marks knows how to, to draft these centers. And I think that having, you know, him you know, on the team, you know, it, it, who knows what could happen in the off season, you know, the, the third season sort of bounce. We saw Clax, you know, show some, some real glimpses and some real growth, some real growth. Sorry. Um, who, who knows if we, we see that from Darren Sharp, but I'm not going to rule it out. Yeah. I mean, I think even if you go into next season, he's your third big, you feel pretty good that there'll be progress made, you know, Maybe he makes a big enough jump that he could truly be the backup center next year. Obviously, that was kind of the plan this year. We all thought that was kind of a little rash, and it turned out to be the case, just given the Nets didn't give him enough time to develop in season one. But, you know, at least there's, you know, some promise and some positivity from the young guys, and, you know, one of them's at least getting to play. Yeah, exactly. Any uh, any final thoughts, Nick? Uh Really, Jack, uh, happy to be done with this recap. Um, <laughs> uh, this has been a, a painful game, a painful stretch. And, you know, knowing the Nets, they'll probably end up winning Saturday against the Heat just to pull us back in a little bit more. But who really knows what's going to go on with this team? Any final thoughts from you, Jack? Yeah, like qu- knowing what's going to happen with this Brooklyn Nets team is like predicting the weather in Melbourne. Like it's yeah. for, for, for those who have been playing along at home, like Melbourne was stormy as hell yesterday morning and then turned up to being sunshine and 25 degrees Celsius. So predicting what the Nets are going to do, how the Nets are going to perform. Look, I think we can rely on Mikael Bridges and Spencer Dimwitty, but let's just see where it goes. I've, I've always preached enjoying the journey. It's it's been made somewhat difficult by what the team and and the front office and coaching and ownership have been doing and, and inflicting upon us. But I still love the Nets, but I love them more when we win, and I love them a little bit less when we lose. Yeah, it's irrational love at this point. Obviously, we're not giving uh, back the love, especially with the results on the court. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks for everybody listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.